As I mentioned earlier, the text for this morning's sermon comes from Matthew chapter 20. We've read the context for this parable. Now let's read the parable itself together. Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, have you heard of the Protestant work ethic? It's something I think we all know, and it's also something that is well known in our culture. If someone is a Christian, they have motivation to work hard. They've been saved by grace, and so in thankfulness, they work to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when a business, even a, a non-Christian business, is looking to hire a new employee... The fact that they're a Christian and a Protestant will suggest that this person will work hard, that they'll be a good hire. In the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, the Lord Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven. Some of these laborers in the parable seem to have a strong work ethic. Let's call it the Protestant work ethic. They've gone to the marketplace first thing in the morning... They've put in a long, hard day, bearing the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But when it comes time to be paid, they receive the same amount as those who have only worked 
one hour. They grumble against the master of the house and we might be inclined to grumble with them. We might even think to ourselves, if this parable is about the kingdom of heaven, is it teaching us that God is not fair? This morning, we'll see that God is fair. In fact, he's not only fair, but he's amazingly generous. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work the same way that the world works. In the first place, nobody can work in the kingdom itself unless, by God's grace, he chooses to hire them. Apart from grace, nobody would deserve to be hired in the first place. They would be left in their sins. And once you're working in the kingdom of heaven, that process, that logic doesn't change. You work hard for the glory of God, but it's not the case that you suddenly start storing up good works for yourself. Your salvation is only by grace through and through. And so when the laborers in the vineyard are rewarded, and when we are given blessings... They're not earned by our works. They're given out of God's generosity and given according to his perfect knowledge of our needs. That brings us to our theme for this morning. In the kingdom of heaven, God generously rewards his laborers to abundantly provide for their needs. We'll see first that the generosity of God is entirely undeserved. And second... The generosity of God is entirely unexpected. So first, the generosity of God is entirely undeserved. In order to properly understand parables, we need to pay close attention to their context. What happens before them that prompts Jesus to teach with a particular parable? In this case, we read together about the rich young man who came to Jesus with a question. He asks, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The young man has a good goal in mind, eternal life, but he doesn't quite understand how to get there. He asks, What good deed must I do? He's thinking in terms of work ethic. Not grace. We sometimes call this perspective works righteousness. As if we are righteous and as if we can earn salvation by the works that we do. Jesus answers, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. But while we know that the commandments require perfect obedience from the heart, the young man doesn't understand. He thinks, I've never killed anyone not committed adultery, not stolen, and so on. So then Jesus goes below the surface to test his heart. He says, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. The young man went away sorrowful because he was rich. But Peter overhears this, and he finds some good news. He he says, see, we, the disciples, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And he has a point. In Matthew 4, when Jesus calls Peter and his brother Andrew, we read that immediately they left their nets 
and followed him. They did what the rich young man did not do. And so then Jesus promises Peter and the other disciples a rich reward. He says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's a rich reward, isn't it? But it's one that's not earned. So in case Peter falls into the same trap as the rich young man, thinking about an ethic of works and not grace, Jesus gives a qualifying statement and then a parable. He says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We'll look at this statement a bit more closely later in the sermon, but for now we can take this statement to frame what the parable will be about. The kingdom of heaven operates in a different way than we might expect. So now as we turn to the parable, let's walk through the story in the shoes of one of the laborers. For our purposes this morning, we'll call him Simeon. Simeon is one of the laborers hired first thing in the morning. He's probably quite poor. He doesn't have a business that makes enough money to provide for his family. He wakes up early this morning, and that's probably like every morning. He makes his way down to the marketplace looking for work. All the other regulars are there, too. He nods greetings to his friends, Joseph and Benjamin. Looks like it's going to be another hot day, eh? Well, perhaps we'll find a job with some shade today. Then a landowner comes along. A vineyard, Simeon asks. Yes, happy to help in the vineyard. A denarius, yep, yeah, that's, that's fair. A hard day's work requires a day's wages. There will be enough to feed the family today. Heading out to the vineyard alongside the others, Simeon notices that Joseph was hired too. But not Benjamin. He doesn't see Benjamin anywhere. He must have gotten left behind in the marketplace. Poor guy, he thinks. Hope someone else hires him. In the vineyard, Simeon sets to work with the others. Starting first thing in the morning is nice to catch some of the cool of the day. But wow, he thinks, it sure is warming up, and this isn't easy work. As he wipes the sweat off his brow around three hours later at 9 a.m., he notices another crew heading in from the marketplace. Still no Benjamin. Perhaps someone else hired him. Later, as Simeon eats a quick lunch, and then again at 3 p.m., new crews arrive in the vineyard. Sure, there's lots of work to do, but this is getting kind of strange. How much is the landowner offering these new guys? It can't be much. They must be pretty desperate for the wages, any wages they can get. The afternoon rolls by and the sundial reaches 5 p.m. One hour to go. What's this? You can't be serious. Another crew walks in at the 11th hour. Does the landowner know what time it is? Do these new laborers know what time it is? But then Simeon notices Benjamin in the new crew. He raises a questioning eye, and Benjamin just shrugs his shoulders with a sense of wonder on his face. Everyone is just about to wrap up the day. 
Maybe Simeon's even a bit snobbish. Nobody likes someone who shows up at the last minute when the job's almost done. Ah, well, he thinks he's done his work. He'll get his money. Don't know about Benjamin, though. At last, the sun's down and the foreman calls all the workers in. A, a denarius never sounded so good. But what's this? The 11th hour laborers are getting paid first? Ah, well, Simeon can wait a little longer. Hold on. Did he just give Benjamin a denarius? Simeon knows that he did because he can see the absolute joy on Benjamin's face. He can feed his family another day. What generosity. Simeon looks around. He hears some chatter. Joseph whispers, did you see that? We're in for a rich reward. If he gets one denarius for one hour, does that mean we'll get 12 denarii for 12 hours? Simeon's turn. Hold on, he thinks. Did the foreman just drop a denarius into my hand? 12 hours of backbreaking work under the scorching sun, and I get a denarius like those 11th hour laborers? Simeon throws a dirty look at the master of the house who stands close by. He holds his tongue, but Joseph's frustration boils into grumbling. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Pause the parable. Until this point, we've looked at the story from Simeon's perspective as one hired first thing in the morning. But now, the master of the house has the last word. Friend, he says, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. They had agreed on a denarius, and the vineyard owner is holding up his end of the deal. Their agreement was between them. It did not involve anyone else. To the grumbler, he says, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? This is the foundation of the parable, brothers and sisters. The vineyard owner's generosity. He had agreed with the first workers for a denarius a day. And to those hired at the third hour, he had said, Whatever is right, I will give to you. And he hadn't even mentioned money to those hired at the eleventh hour. He had just said, You go into the vineyard too. But he generously gives a full day's wages to these laborers. Let's flash back to the rich young man for a second. Teacher, he asks, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The truth is there was no good deed that he could do to earn eternal life. Grace is not like a give and take, buy and sell business transaction. The point of the parable is not that the kingdom of heaven is run like a business or Wall Street, or the corporate ladder. It describes something that is entirely different than an ethic of works, or works righteousness. Something that is entirely undeserved. The kingdom of heaven operates with the principle of generosity. How can the kingdom of heaven be so beautiful? How can its wages be pure grace? 
Brothers and sisters, we know that like the rich young man, we cannot do any good deed to earn eternal life. Apart from God's grace, we can't do any good works, period. The only reward our works earn is eternal punishment and death. So God's generosity, His grace, is by definition something that we do not deserve. But there was one man who did deserve eternal life. One man who always only did good deeds, who deserved eternal life by works righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ was deserving, but in God's plan of salvation, he was punished as though he was undeserving. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The punishment that we deserved was given to the Lord Jesus, and the reward that he deserved is given to those who have faith in him. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who should have been, le- who should have been first became last, and even worse than last, he became as one outside the kingdom of heaven. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the kingdom of heaven operates with the principle that the last will be first. So brothers and sisters, who do you identify with in this parable? Is it the first laborer? We can probably sympathize with Simeon to some degree. Many of us have been baptized as infants and and knew the Lord Jesus as our Savior from a young age. We might pride ourselves in the work that we do in the kingdom of God and and feel like those who were hired first, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But perhaps we're a much closer match to the laborers hired at the 11th hour. Apart from God's grace, we stand in the marketplace needing help but unable to help ourselves. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In some ways, it's beautiful that the parable doesn't tell us much about the last laborers. We do not hear boasting from them. All we hear is their helpless confession. They stand around idle because no one has hired us, they say. But then someone did hire them, and the parable is all about him and about his generosity. Brothers and sisters, we're not told how these laborers responded to the denarius, but we can use our imagination to fill in the blanks. We can see their joy. We can feel their thankfulness to the vineyard owner. Because we wear the same joy. We feel the same thankfulness. We are the undeserving recipients of God's generosity. And that brings us to our second point. The generosity of God is entirely unexpected. Since God's generosity is so undeserved, and we 
who know his grace know how true that is. When we encounter his grace in our lives, it seems it's so entirely unexpected, doesn't it? The laborers in the parable are surprised by the plot twist, even if their surprise comes in different forms and leaves them with different feelings. In this point, we'll look a little more closely at how God's generosity hits home in our lives in unexpected, unanticipated ways. We'll see more and more how the kingdom of heaven works with a logic that is entirely foreign to our ears and reverses all our expectations. The last will be first, and the first last. Let's return briefly to the context of the parable. When the rich young man left, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? In those days, the Jews thought that rich people must have special favor with God. If he had blessed them in this life, surely he would bless them in eternal life as well. So the disciples might have expected that, of all people, this rich young man would have been close to entering the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus teaches them to reshape their expectations. He looks at them and says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Don't expect anything from man, but learn about the amazing things of God. Then Peter asks what the disciples will receive for following Jesus. We don't know his motivation. Maybe it was a curious, honest question, or maybe it was self-interested. Maybe it was something like, since we've actually done good deeds, what will be our reward? We know that some of the other disciples asked a similar question with self-interest. A few verses after this parable... The mother of James and John came to Jesus with her sons, asking that they would sit, one on his right hand and one on his left hand, in his kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? These disciples have the wrong expectations about the kingdom of heaven. Again, Jesus teaches them to reshape these expectations, You do not know what you are asking, he says. Now it is striking that Peter is the one who asks Jesus about their reward. Peter and his brother Andrew were the very first disciples that Jesus called when he began his ministry. We read about that in chapter 4. Soon after, he called James and John. All of these men answered Jesus' call. In the case of James and John, the text says that they left the boat and their father and followed him. In the parable, Jesus teaches the laborers hired at the very first hour that the vineyard owner rewards out of generosity. He counters the expectations of the first by dealing with the last first and dealing very generously with them. In a manner of speaking, Peter was hired at the first hour. So this lesson teaches him specifically to 
reshape his expectations. And in light of these things, it's also striking that this parable is told in Matthew's gospel. It's not told in any of the other gospels. We cannot be sure, but the early church thought that this gospel was written by Matthew himself. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John very early in his ministry in chapter 4, but it's not until chapter 9 that he calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew had been a tax collector, perhaps a very rich young man. He seems to have been added to the twelve at a later hour. So how sweet this parable would have sounded to Matthew's ears. How much joy it would bring him to tell this story in his gospel. Although he was late to join the twelve and, and probably a rich man, by the grace of God, Jesus had called Matthew to follow him and promised him a rich reward alongside all the other disciples. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, the generosity of God is unexpected. The way things work in the kingdom of heaven takes some getting used to. The disciples seem to have some trouble understanding, even though this parable was told directly to them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might have some trouble understanding too. In the first point, we considered the lesson taught to the first hour laborers, that grace is undeserved. And as we learn that same lesson, we can also learn along with them and with the disciples to reshape our expectations of the kingdom of heaven. When the laborers were called in, the vineyard owner commanded, pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first the parable both starts and ends with a similar statement about lasts and firsts. So this detail is especially important to understanding the entire story and point of the parable. The first laborers were probably not expecting to be paid last. And if they had been paid first, they might not have actually seen that the last workers also received a denarius. They could have been happy with their own wage, none the wiser about the others. But the order of payment shows how their expectations were shaped by a sense of pride in their own work and envy of others. And it's not just the first hour laborers who would have had their expectations challenged. Surely the workers of the 11th hour were pretty surprised too. Who could have expected that the vineyard owner would hire them when they had been waiting around all day? And who could have expected that he would pay them a full day's wages after only one hour of work? Congregation, this parable teaches us to re-examine our own expectations about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we start our day content with what the Lord has given to us. We're content with his daily provision, with our daily bread. But how quickly can we turn our eyes away from God? While we're counting our blessings, we can begin to think that we've earned these blessings ourselves. We pride ourselves in what we have not earned. Then it's not long before we look over the fence and see greener grass in the neighbor's yard. 
even our neighbors within the church. God has blessed us material, materially in different ways and, and also spiritually with, with different gifts. Some of us have beautiful homes, some of us have wonderful jobs, and some of us have peace within our families. Some of us have the gift of hospitality. Some of us have the gift of leadership and service. We have different gifts, all of us. But does God give us gifts because we've been Christians for so many years? Or because we feel like we've served Him well on a given day? And is He obligated to give us all the same gifts that He gives to others? The first laborers felt that way. They received all that they needed, truly, and yet they looked with envy to the laborers of the eleventh hour. They grumbled against the vineyard owner. Their false expectations shaped the way they looked at themselves, at others, and, and perhaps most importantly, at how they looked at God. God gives us gifts only out of His generosity, out of His grace. If we seek our daily bread, all that we need for body and soul from our Heavenly Father, we should expect that He will satisfy us in every way. And when He does, we must count those blessings like the 11th hour laborers surely did when they received their denarius, full of wonder, joy, and gratitude. We'll be so busy counting these blessings, amazed at how God has given them to us, that we might not even think to look around at the blessings that he has given to others. Or perhaps we'll be so satisfied with our own blessings that when we look around, we'll praise God that he has given to all his children so richly. Because it's not about us. Brothers and sisters, if our expectations place us first in line in the kingdom of heaven, we must spend more time thinking about grace when we know how undeserving we are, we'll probably move ourselves to the back of the line. And the beautiful thing is, in God's amazing grace, it's the back of the line that will be counted first. If you have been a Christian for as long as you can remember, live like a first-hour laborer with 11th-hour glasses on, with the perspective of, how can this be? If you have just been hired to work in the vineyard, know that whatever lies in your past no longer determines the reward you will receive in the future. Work hard from this moment on until the vineyard owner calls you in. Or maybe you have not been hired, but you're standing in the marketplace. You know that you need something, but it's the 11th hour. Your expectations are low you're just about to give up. If that's the case, hear the vineyard owner. You go into the vineyard too. If you know that you are undeserving, if you almost can't believe that God would be generous to you, a sinner, consider how well a denarius perfectly met the needs of the last hour laborers. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone, he will provide so far beyond your expectations. Brothers and sisters, the Protestant work ethic might cause us to stand out in the world around us. And we do have so much reason to have a good work ethic, to work hard. 
But we must remember that the Protestant work ethic is rooted in grace, not pride in our own works. Having received this grace, we overflow in thankfulness as we work hard in the service of the great vineyard owner. But we should also stand out to the world because we are generous, because we deal with others the way that God deals with us. And this will be a bit more difficult. But that means it will stand out all the more because it runs counter to the way that the world, the rat race, works. To some degree, we ourselves can't understand it either. We don't know the reasons why God gives some gifts to to us and some gifts to others, or why the last will be first, but we can trust in His perfect grace for our needs. We know in our own hearts that each one of us is undeserving, and that each one of us has received more from God's generosity than we could ever have expected. So in this knowledge and trust, we can also look ahead We can live with kingdom of heaven glasses on, looking forward to the day when the kingdom will come fully. That's what this parable points to. In response to to Peter's question, the Lord Jesus speaks of the new world when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. And then in the parable, when the foreman pays the wages, it's at the end of the day. So we can identify God's unexpected grace in our own undeserving lives even now, but we can also look forward to when he will crown us with the full measure of his grace in eternal life. If God's generosity reshapes and overflows our expectations in this age, how much more will we be astounded by the wage he pays in the age to come? Amen. Let's respond now to this grace with the joy and wonder of 11th hour laborers as we sing from hymn 72, the verses 1 through 5.